0: You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
1: The time has come for America to hear the truth.
0: Good evening, folks. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We are Alabama's only union talk radio show, and this is the fourth in our series of interviews of IWW members across the country. Uh, We are showcasing what the IWW is doing On the weekend of our North American convention, I'm very excited tonight to be talking to Dustin White. He is a member of the West Virginia IWW and uh, was a member of the Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition uh, Union over in West Virginia that was organized with the uh, West Virginia IWW. Dustin, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Of course, of course, really looking forward to it. So uh, the Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition, uh, can you talk to us about that? Uh, Like what what does you know, it sounds like some some sort of environmental nonprofit, right? Is that, you know, what kind of stuff did y'all do?
2: Yeah. So the Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition was an environmental justice grassroots nonprofit located in Huntington, West Virginia. That was really focused on the environmental impacts and the health and safety of communities uh, throughout West Virginia and most of the Central Appalachian region.
0: And so, what the uh, you know it, uh, what were some of the projects that y'all um, you know engaged in?
2: So with OVEC, we worked a lot um, on mountaintop removal coal mining. That's initially where I got my start, plus other egregious mining techniques, uh, fracking. Uh, which is a a prevalent issue here inside the state and uh, a proposed um, petrochemical mega complex that they've been trying to get off the ground that would span over 500 square miles here in the Appalachian region. Um, And those were just some of the common projects that we were working on up to the point of my termination.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, those sound like, those sound like important projects. How did you come to be, uh, you know, uh, a worker at, OVEC?
2: Well, I started as a volunteer with OVEC and was a volunteer for nearly five years um, where I worked on several issues, including cemetery preservation. Uh, I had a family cemetery that was almost destroyed by mountaintop removal coal mining. Um, So that's really what kind of propelled me into this. And then as I did the work, I started learning about people I knew who had gotten poisoned by coal pollution and were passing away at very early ages, and I was outliving them. So that really pulled me into this work of wanting to make a change in West Virginia and to work from the environmental side.
0: Right. When you mentioned the mountaintop removal, you know, it, we talked a little bit before we started, and it reminded me of the uh, coalition that... Um, that chuck keeney talked about when we interviewed him a few months ago uh about the fight to preserve blair mountain as a historical site because that was slated to be uh you know for mountaintop removal for for coal mining and and in one case you know it was a it was a cemetery that that was slated for that and in another the site of a historic uh you know battleground between miners and police and uh the the coalition building around you know i'm not as uh you know i'm, I'm not as familiar with with the more recent projects or, or the projects that you alluded to but the coalition building around the blair mountain fight really seems um you know important going forward like this is how we're gonna have to uh you know that's how we're gonna have to fight the big you know capitalist bosses is is not by a you know insular kind of uh, uh you know lefty clubhouse you know there were miners there were envir- environmental groups and and you know that's not you know coal miners and environmental groups right those aren't you know the they're not, they're not always on the same side and here they were and they fought like really ferociously together you know it, so it was called the Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition. Was that a really big part of your work, you know, building those um, alliances for uh, for causes like that?
2: Well, absolutely. And OVEC was one of the top environmental groups in the region that was fighting to protect Blair Mountain. Um, and that was another draw for me into this work. I had a great-grandfather fight at Blair Mountain, and at the time, I really seen OVEC as someone who was very pro-union um, and would help us, you know, preserve that part of history, too. Uh, so, yeah, um, a lot of the work was trying to, to bridge those gaps between, you know, miners and the environmental groups. I, I'm from a coal mining family. My father was a coal miner um, who very much supported my work as an environmental. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was a a lot of that uh, as part of my work early on as well. And it doesn't matter if you're a coal miner or just a regular citizen, you can still be impacted by these egregious practices and you deserve justice. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the it it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like, you know, this is a this is you know, it's a, it was a job for you. It was, a, it was a way to make a living, right? But it, it was, you know, it was connected to a cause and something that you, you felt was like making the world better and that you got, you know, some amount of like fulfillment from. And like, this is something that you enjoyed doing. You felt had a purpose.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, combined time of volunteer and staff, I was nearly there for 15 years doing this type of work.
0: Wow. Wow. Fifteen years. That's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how did you what was the, how did you transition from volunteer to worker? What was um, that like?
2: It was actually fairly simple. Um, I was, you know, a volunteer. I'd won several awards for my volunteerism with OVEC. Um, and then they had an opening available and I just applied for it and they hired me.
0: How quickly was that? After, you know, how many years had you been volunteering before they brought you on as staff? Uh, about five. About five years, you said? Yes. And so what were the, um, you know, what were the, the working conditions there like?
2: Oh, well, uh... I at the time it felt very much, you know, the, the quote unquote, you know, friendly working conditions. We, we kind of considered, you know, the work that we do important and we were there for each other and supported each other. And it wasn't very, um, management heavy. Um, everyone seemed to have a fairly objective voice in what work we do. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, at the time it really felt like a part of home too
0: yeah what was there a certain like management and and you know this is something that i i um uh in in another one of the interviews that that we had and i can't remember which one it was um you know i mentioned that uh you know it's not often that we hear about union fights when the working conditions are like, great, you know, I mean, (laughs) and I told her, you know, I I told her that, um, you know, I think everybody should have a union. And if you have a good job, you should still unionize, you know, if you have a good boss, you should still unionize, because that can kind of, uh, you know, the things about your job that you like, you can, you can uh, cement it, so to speak, you can, you can, Uh, make that more continuous and less contingent on, you know, these other factors like management and uh, and their mood in the morning. Right. So uh, but but generally speaking, you know, there tends to be a pretty decent amount of conflict between workers and management when there is a union fight. And, you know, you, you said at the start, it was, it was pretty good. Was there like a change that happened, like a particular event or a, or a change in management?
2: Well, part of the reason why we went into talks about organizing, while there were some minor issues at the time in the workplace, we mainly wanted to ensure our future um, because the current executive director was talking about retirement coming up in the next few years. And we had already went through a situation where we had a previous executive director who was very domineering and heavy-handed and really liked to try to punish people for no reason. Um, and we didn't want to see that happen again with, uh, with our next uh, director stepping off. So we wanted to make sure that we had those safety measures in place to be able to have a union at our backs um, so that history doesn't repeat itself.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that it sounds like y'all were basically taking the advice that I had laid out there. Like you were like, you know, look, I've got it pretty good, but there's change in management coming up and we just want to make sure that everything stays the same, basically. Right. And that was uh, that was not met with like uh, um, what's what what I, I'm trying to think. It was not met well, basically. <laughs> Are you there? Yeah, sorry, the dogs are barking. Oh, <laughs> no worries, no worries.
2: Um, yeah, so I mean, we essentially started talking about unionizing in the fall of 2020, um, and in March we were actually outed by another employee. Oh no! Management and told uh, them, told our executive director what was happening. Um, and then right from the start, it was immediately like the walls went up. Um, management pretty much stoned us and stopped talking to any of the staff that was involved in the unionizing efforts. Um, a few days later, they got us on a Zoom call with a, a board member who was seen to be, quote, an expert in unions because he was once part of one and he spent the next two hours belittling us talking over us and explaining how good unions were, but not for OVEC. Oh, man. And that was kind of the start of the snowball that ended up being uh, the fight that we got thrown into. And it wasn't shortly after that, um, we started hearing things like we weren't unionizing the right way. Um, They were just making up all these lies. Uh, We asked for voluntary recognition. We actually probably asked for voluntary recognition longer than most groups would have um, just for the attempt to still try to hold that favor with our board members and let them save face and go about things the right way. But they kept accusing us of not doing it right um, until eventually we had to file for an election.
0: Wow. And, and help me understand the, the relationship exactly with um with with quote management and and the rest of the workforce, because you know, like how how is management selected? Who how many people are are in management or on the board, so to speak? Like, um, and how did they how did they come into that position? And then how many workers are there?
2: Yeah, so our board members are basically volunteers who are elected into the board. Um, any OVEC member who is a paid due member of the coalition could um, suggest a board member Um, so that's how the board members come on and um, with the executive director positions and the other management positions it's been hired um, and the current executive director was actually an employee longer than I had been um, as as was some of the other administrative
0: directors okay I see Adam was there something that you were about to ask
1: yeah, I just think one of the most interesting things, and and I'm sure you're about to expand on this a little bit, is you, you have this organization that is supposed to be pro-union, working with unions, uh, you know, progressive, and yet this is their response to their employees asking to be uh, recognized as a union. Not going, you know, it sounds like you guys really weren't looking for a fight. You guys were just trying to organized so that you had a union in place to you know to better prepare for the future and survive the future. So that's just to me that's always one of the most interesting dynamics uh especially when you get into the nonprofit world or even union staffer world um when you see a big gap between the rhetoric of leadership of these organizations versus the
2: realities
1: uh in terms of their own workplaces.
2: Well absolutely I- that's what completely floored me when this all started was because, you know, all the time I'd spent with Rebecca, I always heard, you know, we're, we're very much pro-union, uh, we're for union jobs, and with the, the amount of pushback we got right from the get-go was just surprising to me, and I was baffled by it for quite some time.
0: Yeah, well, help me understand, what what did they mean you aren't unionizing the right way like what does that even mean
2: <laughs> well their favorite word at the time was process and that we weren't going through the proper process to create a union um we had actually not even intended to go public with talking about the union until earth day uh, mm. so we were already put several months behind uh, you know behind because we were quote out early um, right. just we were having the general conversations about it um so they were very much perturbed by the fact that we were having what they called secret meetings um to discuss unions um
0: they which is good which is good just for the audience you don't have (laughs) meetings about unionizing with the boss okay that's just putting that out there that's a good thing
2: yeah yeah but we were called disrespectful for doing that um Mm. and they said that you know we didn't go through the proper channels with the board if there were problems before we went to try to go to unionizing um and it even came down that they were saying that no we have to have an election before the board can
0: voluntarily recognize us well that's not voluntary recognition it's, right. not. <laughs> it's that's, not that's really like That is the state backed, like state enforced recognition. That's what an NLRB election is. That's not voluntarily recognizing like the state is making you recognize it. Oh, man, that's bonkers. (laughs) Well, what um, what were you know, you were you you said to me that the um, the. The main purpose of the campaign was more to like solidify um, the things that you had. Were there any things that you were fighting for specifically that maybe perturbed the board? Or was it just like, was it just them having less power that made them so frightened?
2: I've come to believe that it's just them afraid of losing some of that power that has made them so frightened because none of the things... That we've been asking for has been that substantial. Uh, You know, just to make sure that what benefits we do have are secure, um, a little bit more, you know, equity in the pay scale. But other than that, it's it's pretty basic things. And what they saw was an attack on the organization. Um, Even frankly, one of the board members wrote a letter who accused us of being a leftist coup trying to take over the organization. <laughs> so uh, it was it was, it was pretty, pretty crazy, some of the things that they were saying that we were doing.
1: So, so that's, you- uh, I was going to say, that's one of the common themes in this type of uh, fight we're talking about, you know, inside of uh, nonprofits and those type of workplaces is that conflict between your loyalty to yourself and to your colleagues as a worker versus your quote unquote loyalty to the organization. And a lot of times it seems like these organizations, or at least their leadership and board members, they expect that your, your identity as a worker takes second place to your overall loyalty to this organization, especially you know, when you're folks like yourself who were volunteering for the organization before you worked there, clearly you guys believed in the mission. Uh, that's what led you to, to end up working there. Uh, but it's just amazing how they, they take that into a whole nother direction It's really just a, a different way to exploit their workforce, uh, instead of, uh, you know, using some of the more traditional tactics you see in like normal private industry, it's really using your heart and soul against yourself. I mean that's yeah. kind of the way they try to leverage
2: it, yeah, absolutely, and that's exactly what they attempted to do um, even when as far as the one of the former executive directors who was executive director when I was hired wrote a letter talking about how disrespectful we were to be talking about unionizing and things like that. So yeah, they, they really went went out on a limb to try to make us look bad as possible um, in this process. And, and they kept telling our allies that we weren't following the proper procedure.
1: Um, Which management doesn't get to determine anyway. Yeah. Uh, no. If, if they had any respect for unions that they claim they did, they would
2: realize that. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of it also led to a lot of division inside the board itself, too, mm-hmm. um, where a lot of the board members who were pro-union were um, harassed um, and bullied by those oh. who were spinning these like kind of um, falsehoods. Uh, even right down to our only black board member resigned because of the way they treated her um, because she was supporting our union efforts. Uh, So this is also very much steeped in white dominant culture as well.
0: I want to nail down the, um, what y'all are, I mean, as far as I understand, y'all didn't actually have like Or y'all to this point don't have like a contract proposal or a list of formal demands, right?
2: Yeah. So um, we're working on setting up a date now to begin the negotiations. Um, But, you know, again, basically the demands that we have are kind of some of the things that I began with was like, you know, equity pay. uh,
0: Equity pay. What What does that mean?
2: Uh, Just making sure that all employees are paid their fair share for the work that they're doing. Uh, Me and one other employee was spending a lot of time covering nearly 300 miles of the Ohio River, running back and forth, um, coming home late at night, sometimes visiting the northern part of the state, and still barely making enough to live on.
0: So. Mm. Right, right. Was there was there like a specific uh, like a specific number that you had or just like generally like we should be making more? Or was it like a like we aren't being paid all the hours that we're working or, um, you know, what did that was or was there even a more specific ask than that?
2: Uh, I think it was more towards, you know, we should just be making more if we're doing this work and wearing ourselves off like out like this.
0: Right. Right. And, you know, I'm uh, presumably the starting wage at a small, you know, um, environmental nonprofit is not a lot. Right.
2: <laughs> not usually. No. And especially like one in an area like Appalachia, where funding is hard to get to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there there is that kind of struggle with resources even for our organizations. But, you know, at the same time, you can't. Treat your employees like they're you know expendable and you know underpay them for the work that they're trying to do.
0: Right, right. And if you don't mind me asking, what was the uh, what was this like the general you know like an idea of what you could expect to be compensated at OVEC?
2: It was really different depending on how long you've been there, um, but from what I remember, when I was hired in 2012. It was just a little over thirty thousand a year.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's not a lot. <laughs> um, so the so pay equity, wanting to be paid, you know, what you're worth, be paid a little bit more than you know 30, a year. I think that makes sense. What was the next thing? Um,
2: other things were just like you know, have a say in you know, possibly getting more staff. That was one thing that really steered me into this because for over three years, uh, myself and our co-worker were asking that they hire more organizers because we were, you know, wearing ourselves out trying to do this work. And instead, management hired people to take things off of their plate.
1: Um, oh, wow. That sounds very familiar to my, my experience in your world.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> What do you mean? What do you mean? Take things off there? Like they hired more whipcrackers?
2: It was more people who would do the jobs that they were traditionally doing, um, which granted, it is a lot of work that they were doing. But at the same time, we were the ones out in the field covering a lot of territory, you know, ripping our hearts out of our chest, basically going into these communities and helping them deal with things that are actually killing them. Right. Um, instead, they wanted somebody else to do media and things like that.
0: How many hours a week would you say that, that you were working?
2: Oh, it's, it's definitely over a 40 hour work week. If I counted, you know, times that I was out in the field driving late at night, um, which
0: you should, that would be, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't
2: uncommon for me to do 80 hours in a week.
0: Really? Wow. I have I have never in my life worked an eighty hour week, and I pray to God that I never have to. That's insane. Um, and that's eighty hours a week. So you're on salary. Yes. You're not hourly. No. So that's eighty hours for when you started thirty thousand. I mean, I don't know how much you were making at the end, but you probably weren't making more than fifty. Eighty hours a week, at uh, at even that is insane. Yeah. No. Wow
2: yeah at the time I was terminated, I think it was around forty
0: thousand so wow yeah. jesus christ so the okay um what, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just that that's wild to me and um so the we're looking at pay equity, maybe hiring more staff mm-hmm. um and and like help us? Do you think? Do you think that management was putting in? Like, is there any way that you could look at them, symp- even like potentially sympathetic? Or well, I mean, I guess like, what do you value? Do you value getting credit for what you're doing, or do you value actually doing the work? And and you know, there's you have to get credit because you have to have funders. But like, how w- was was management putting in that many hours a week? Probably not, to be honest. Uh, yeah,
2: especially not our development director. I know that they weren't putting in those types of hours. Um, the executive director, probably, well, maybe, probably not quite as much. But at the
0: time, she, she was known to do long hours. So, And how many employees were there that are not in management in OVEC? Uh,
2: when this started, there were five of us not in management.
0: So... We're looking at pay equity, maybe hiring more staff. What else? Um,
2: and then just, uh, you know, some of the general stuff that we did currently receive as benefits as employees, but just to make sure that they were in a contract. Um, because, you know, as much as they say that it couldn't happen, it very much could have happened that we could have of been course. a board and management who completely changed the handbook and right. took some of those benefits. Um, So we wanted to make sure that we had those still moving forward in the future as well.
0: Was there any fight for more like, um, you know, if it were, say, a like if we were talking about, say, a magazine, you know, would there were, were you looking at fighting for what would be considered like editorial control in that context? I mean, th- does that mean like, were you looking to exercise like control over the agenda of the organization?
2: Uh, not so much, just more, you know, more say in the work that we're doing and to make sure that extra work wasn't piled on top of us, uh, which they claim that was always what they did to begin with. But you no, know, it always seemed like our, our work kept uh, piling up on us even though they
0: claimed that we could say no anytime we wanted to. Yeah. I mean, that just like, that's, you know, I, I brought up that analogy because I, you know, I don't know if you're how much you followed that, but there's a small kind of lefty magazine that recently, um, the, uh, some of the staff tried to formalize a cooperative structure that included editorial input from the, uh, from uh, from the staff and the editor in chief uh like flipped out and fired half the staff in like a day. And he came out with like this really long screed about how like, you know, the working conditions, like I could, I could have given them whatever they wanted, but like, I wanted to, you know, like he said that he felt in his guts that this project was mine. Right. And that I should have say over what is done to it. And like <laughs> that's just, you know, it doesn't even sound like you were asking so much for the say over what's done to it but like if but but that's there you can't have a project where you bring on more than one person that is your project if you want to have a project that you have total control over then you just have to do it yourself because um if you bring on other people then they have a claim to that you know, and they ha- they should have a say in what happens to it, and it, you know, it doesn't even really sound like you're, y'all were asking for that, which makes it even more crazy. Um, their reaction to it uh, to to your to your campaign, um, I mean, it's just that that's really. I'm just I'm but like stunned. It, you know, common
1: sense would dictate though that that you and and the rest of your I guess four other colleagues uh, should have some say in, right. in the day-to-day op- operations and in the broader vision of the organization, because like you said earlier, y'all are the ones out in the field. Uh, you're the one covering a 300 mile territory uh, out uh, meeting with your, your dues paying members and covering the communities. And so You know, and that's not to say that the people at headquarters, so to speak, weren't doing important work. Somebody's got to, you know, work on fundraising and media. But, you know, not to say point of production, because it's not really that kind of shop or industry, but, you know, where the rubber meets the road, that was y'all. And so I, I feel like it would just be the right thing to do. For y'all to have some say so in the organization, uh, even even separate from uh, your working conditions and you know wages and benefits and these bread and butter issues that y'all were very reasonable about, it seems. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, that's the thing that really—it's um, shocking how there are a lot of people who who find it easy to talk progressive, uh, to talk pro worker or pro tenant until it's their property where they have right. to raise rents or until it's their employees asking for a union, asking for a pay raise. Uh, and that's where you start to see the true colors come out.
2: Exactly. I think that's a lot of what we witnessed here.
0: So the seeing their true colors come out, you know, so far There have been letters trying to... I mean, the language there, disrespectful. I mean, my God, I'm not in third grade. I'm an adult, right? Disrespectful. Like, screw you, you know? Uh, But you've had letters from executive editors calling you disrespectful, saying that you're not following the proper channels. The boss is telling you that you're not unionizing the right way. Um, The, uh, you know, somebody saying that unions... Well... I wanted to get to something, but then I remembered this. You had somebody present, somebody on the board, I think, that you said, say that unions are good, but not for us. What were were the specific reasons that he said unions weren't good for us?
2: Uh, His excuses were that, you know, OVEC was such a small organization and everyone had a fair say at everything and was doing everything correctly and all of that, that, you know, he just didn't think that Ovec
0: needed one. All right. Of course. Of course. So <laughs> what so, you know, we're up to this point. Where did their true colors start coming out even more? Because, you know, we've uh, you know, we've been kind of talking around it. But like, uh, you know, you were fired from, <laughs> from this job that you had worked at for 10 years. You put a, a like a damn decade of your life into this. 80-hour weeks at some point. Brendan, our fellow worker, was also fired. I've known Brendan for a long time. Uh, He was fired. I don't think he was there as long, but, uh, you know, uh, like, how did that happen?
2: Well, it it was really a series of events that that kind of just continuously snowballed. I mean, management was giving us the cold shoulder. They wouldn't talk to us. Um, Several times our executive director said, we're just going to ignore the elephant in the room and just focus on work when we were at staff meetings. Um, And we kept hearing, you know, the things that the board was doing uh, through our allies who were on the board. Um, I was seeing text messages and emails that were being sent from one board member to our allies where they were, you know, threatening them if they didn't leave the board or that they would stay on long enough until that the, the allies left the board told you the situation with the one black board member who they um, treated poorly. Um, It eventually ended up that three of the board members left. Um, We did a strike, a one day strike on earth day. um, And the only response from management was a one day dock in our pay. Wow. Um, Well, yeah, still no responses. Um, So we attempted to try to do a work slowdown. Um, as to which the, uh, we received a letter citing insubordination. Um, that was their only response to that. Um, and then it really reached a point to where this one board member, who was kind of the ringleader, it's the same board member who got us on the Zoom call and was, you know, treating us poorly, um, was bullying one of my life longtime friends in this work and uh, an OVEC volunteer, um, he bullied her in an email. And that was kind of where I kind of threw my hands up. Of course, also, uh, let me back up a little bit. I did write an 11 page letter of grievance uh, and filed it with the entire board and management that was completely ignored. The only people that um, commented on it was our, our board allies. But yeah, nobody took anything into consideration that I had in that letter of grievance. Uh, so really some- quickly,
0: what was the makeup of the board, like pro-anti-union? What what did that split look like?
2: Um, at the time, it was anti-union, but just by a small margin. But uh, pretty much all of the pro-union board members ended up resigning. Um, Jeez, with problems- that's
0: not good for the future of the organization, I would say.
2: With a couple of others who tried to stick around. And this is also in the middle of when board elections were supposed to be happening. So they were supposed to be bringing on new board members anyway. Mm. Uh, but that was even stalled because of this process. And they refused to do that. Um, but, yeah, I, I tried to file a grievance a letter, you know, stating this is what I've experienced uh, over this time. And this is my recommendations on how to fix it um that was completely ignored and with the bullying
0: which uh, this is supposedly filing a grievance with the board right this is when they're talking to you about you're not going through the proper channels well blah, blah, blah. that's like the proper channel quote unquote right uh,
2: that was my my thought but i thought <laughs> uh, i thought i was doing the proper channels but right. uh, apparently they continued to ignore us um and then yeah after after the bullying and everything reached a peak and You know, they they bullied, like I said, that longtime friend and volunteer of mine who I've worked with real close. Um, I pretty much went public on social media about all the things that they were doing. And it was two days later that they fired me. Um, They cited my social media posts uh, as part of the reason for my termination. And they claimed that I harassed and bullied board members. Wow. Um, And even threatened them. And what I said was uh, we will, if you're going to continue to ignore us, we'll show up in spaces you are, because that's what organizing is. And that that was a threat to them. Hmm. Well, this definitely
1: hits home with me, Dustin. Uh, It definitely hits home with me. And I had very similar experience working for a uh, ostensible labor organization. But yeah, it was once the, once, Our concerns and my concerns became public that's when shit hit the fan and it sounds like that's that was the same kind of scenario there is you know it it once once people outside y'all's immediate circles could see what was happening and they were kind of put on blast that's when you know they just had to strike and had to silence you
2: yeah that's exactly what happened. Of course, they had put Brendan on suspension. He had been on suspension pending an investigation into his uh, part uh, his part in the unionizing efforts because they claimed that he was management when he wasn't. Right. Uh, he was on suspension all this time as well, so he was months on paid suspension, and they fired him about a week after
0: me. So he was months on paid suspension. They were willing to pay him to stay away.
1: Uh, they were that's so a, like eager to disrupt your union drive. That's, that's
0: so uh, interesting. Uh, and and so his suspension was ostensibly because not for any but because he was management and he was involved in the campaign. Is that right? That was their claim. Yes. Okay, I see. I see. So um, you two were fired. Was there? Has anybody else been fired? Or or you know.
2: Nobody else has been fired, but there have been threats.
0: Um, When were y'all fired?
2: I was fired uh, May 21st, and I think Brendan was uh, a couple of weeks after, a week or so after.
0: And how, so this is, uh, wow, this is nigh on like three months ago. How have the rest of the, I guess, three employees there how how have they managed um you know this time through their their workload which was already incredibly um incredibly high it sounds like uh, you know a very tall workload um and then the um you know th- the campaign and their relationship with management like what's it been uh, like for them since then
2: Well, it's been a struggle um i still try to talk to them as frequently as possible that um, they've been trying to bog down the work and um, administrative type work as in reporting and things like that um, and just you know giving them as hard a time as possible um, but on the flip side of that too um, a lot of our coalition allies bigger coalition groups that we were a part of and have worked with really stepped up to kind of say hey OVEC's not doing the right thing and we're not going to be working with them until they fix it. Uh, Mm. So that really kind of also slowed down their, their workload a bit. Um, So they've been trying to shovel on as, as much uh, busy work as possible for the remainder staff.
0: The remainder staff, there are three people remaining. You mentioned that uh, there was a rat. Is the rat among them? Has he like, or she like, change their mind or like what how is how's that go the
2: rat resigned shortly after um after everything went down um partly because they were the one in charge of the office and was probably getting bombarded by pro-union phone calls at the time (laughs) Uh, that was part of our campaign right Uh, right and they're actually down to two employees now Um, two employees yeah, another one has accepted a job elsewhere and has decided to move on as well. Um, but there were two employees, that, actually three, I guess, if you count the one that just took the new position, that resigned in part of this as well.
0: I see. And, and have they re- replaced those people or is it just the two that are left now? It's just the two that's left now and management. That sounds pretty tense. <laughs> So um well this has all been pretty drab, right? There this is like this is not a this is not so far been like a hopeful story, but there has been some hope, okay? Uh Brendan was suspended in, and then fired because he was management. Or no, no, no. There was an election, right? Yeah, we had an election. You had an election and you oh, won. I. Yes. So, you won recognition. They did not voluntarily recognize you. The state is forcing them to recognize you. Now they have to bargain with you in good faith. Additionally, Brendan's firing, his suspension, then his firing, which was ostensibly because he was a boss helping with the union efforts, which is illegal, right? You can't do that. And that is, if that were true, you know, there would be some grounds there because that you can't do that as a boss. You can't encourage or discourage or, or, or you know, promote or threaten or, or whatever. It's, you know, you're supposed to be neutral ostensibly. Yeah. Um, But the NLRB ruled that he is not management, right? Yeah, that's exactly what they ruled. And so he's expecting reinstatement then at some point. Hopefully,
2: Um, But they are still fighting that decision.
0: So what is the is there like a separate ruling for reinstatement? Like, okay, so they have they ruled that he's not management, um, which means that his reason for firing uh, was not what you know, that's not valid. So is there like a separate thing that needs to come out or is it just automatic as soon as the appeals are are finished?
2: Um, it really just depends on what route they take, um, from my understanding. And of course, I'm not a, a legal expert. I'm kind of figuring this out as I go along too, because I wasn't ever expecting to have right. to these, these ropes. Um, but yeah, um, if he wins if he wins his, what looks like it's probably going to have to go to a hearing. Um, I think it's up to whatever the, the judgment is. Um, with what his reinstatement or not would be. It's it's kind of the same thing with mine. The regional director has found calls to believe that both of us were terminated unfairly, um, but then it has to go to the basically a court system. Uh, and of course, OVEC has hired a lawyer who is still kind of fighting this, but they still have the opportunity to settle too. Um, and right. settlement could be anything as well. Um, but part of that would at least be back pay for the time
0: that we have not been working right. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, you mentioned it there, there's some hope that that you could be reinstated or there could be a settlement in both of both of your cases, uh, potentially. And, and so, you know, there's some hopeful news there, uh, that, you know, through the, you know, the dreary, (laughs) you know, the, the unfortunate kind of, uh, uh, talk that we've been having. What is the, what is everybody's outlook moving forward like are there plans uh like do they have kind of plans in place or um you know the like are they is everybody glad that they did this like is there anybody that's that's thinking like oh man we shouldn't have done this
2: i don't think that there's anybody who, who regrets unionizing um, but i do believe that morale is low especially with the, the, the continuation of what the, the board and management has tried to do Even right down to just a few days ago, the the new newsletter of OVEC came out and on the back page, it congratulated the board first for unanimously voting to approve the union and then congratulated (laughs) the employees for winning the election. So they are still very much still trying to spin it in their favor and still um, spinning these lies to what really happened. So uh, morale is still still kind of low and... um, we don't know what's going to happen over the next month or so. That's when mine and Brandon, Brendan's um, hearing is supposed to be is in September, the later part of September. Um, so we just have to kind of still waiting and seeing what happens.
0: So the, um, you know, what would be your... I guess what would be your message to people that are working in small nonprofits um, that are that are unhappy with with some things or that want to make sure that they get in writing the things that they like about their job you know listening to this interview the fight that y'all have had to put up with from management over like the most meager types of things right what would be your message to somebody that is like that would be like listening to this and maybe even being a bit disheartened about and apprehensive about um fighting themselves
2: I think the first thing I would say is that even when you're fighting for justice, you deserve justice yourself. And a union is a big part of that in the workplace. And you deserve to have that, whether or not management likes it or not. Um, so never feel discouraged um, to step up and say you want a union. Um, it, it's your right. And uh, you have to remember that just as much as it's, it's the right for people to have clean air and clean water it's your right to have union at your back as well in the workplace. So don't, don't let them ever tell you that it's not good for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's good. And I think that, you know, um, I, I think that I would encourage people listening to this, that, that the reaction, you know, management has had is not an indication that, um, you know unionization is bad that uh the fight is futile i think that it is an illustration of the importance of and the necessity of the fight um because you know if the these meager of things that are being asked for can cause such consternation and cause such a fight among management uh they could have done this at the drop of a hat, right? Anything could have uh, could have turned them against you. And if it had come at a time other than this, you would not have been organized in a way that would have allowed you to fight it because uh, right now – you are organized. You are. Uh, you're a member of the West Virginia IWW. You have the West Virginia IWW at your back. You have the rest of the IWW at your back. You have the rest of the labor movement, I believe, at your back. You have your pro union allies at your back. And if this, if y'all had been caught flat footed. If the thing, if it had been initiated by the boss, you know, you wouldn't have been organized yourselves and you wouldn't have had the organized community behind you as much. But, you know, you wouldn't have known what to do, really. And I, I think that really I would encourage people to take this not as a a, a lesson that I don't need to unionize. That's going to make trouble. It's that if you don't make trouble, trouble's going to find you and you want to you want to be able to fight it. Um you know, that that's that's what I, I would uh, I would think about that. Adam, I don't know if you have anything.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely one of my takeaways is that management's response and the board's response is indicative of what they were willing to do. And I think all along it, it kind of confirms y'all's suspicions that, OK, if we have a change in leadership with the executive director or, you know, any other sort of change in circumstances, they will be willing to you know, uh, take anything they can from us. I think their response proves that is definitely the case. Um, yeah. so despite the, the difficult journey y'all have had, and, you know, as to, to yet, not a super, uh, positive ending, I think y'all made the right choice. You did what, what was in your best interest. You, you made the right choice to prepare for the worst knowing that they were willing to go there. Um, so, and the other thing I think, in terms of other folks who may be in a similar working environment, uh, I'm sure that Brendan and Dustin and the rest have, you know, learned some lessons and sort of figured out some things they could have done differently, or maybe some things they wish they knew because uh, hindsight's 2020. One of the things that you have to be very uh, cognizant of in these kind of work environments is the relationship of board. You know, there's a board of directors, then you have your management structure, and there's a lot of internal politics there, uh, and if you don't have a good feel for that and and who may be on your side at the board level, not just at management level, there again, you may get caught flat-footed and how it's going to unfold. I'm sure, especially like the length of service you had with the coalition, you probably had a really good idea who was going to be with you and who wasn't on the board. Uh, but if you are in a similar, uh, you know, employment, keep that in mind, yeah. do some, do some power mapping, not just of your bosses, but these board members who your bosses ostensibly report to, uh, and fundraisers who are some of the biggest donors to the nonprofit are those potential allies. Uh, and I think lining those up before the campaign goes public is important. And, you know, it's unfortunate that, that y'all were ratted out early. And that's, you know, that's something I've experienced and a lot of folks in organizing have experienced that sometimes you have snitches. Yeah. And um,
0: especially just, and it can be especially easy to snitch in an environment like this where you're you're thinking that, you know, you could be tricked into thinking that siding with the management is siding with the mission, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, I I didn't mean to cut you off, Adam. I'm sorry. No, (laughs) no, I
1: I think that's actually uh, exactly where I was going with this. Yeah, that's perfect because um, there is a difference between the mission and the institution. Yes. There's a difference between the mission and the individuals. Um, And oftentimes these type of employers conflate all of that. And they want your identification with the mission and with the movement behind it to be synonymous with the leadership and, and the individuals in charge uh, and the institution itself as a nonprofit or, or a type of business. Uh, and right. there's a difference there, but that contradiction is, is where a lot of the alienation comes from in this type of work. Uh, because, because your heart and soul is poured into it, you're there because you believe in it beyond just trying to make a living. Uh, but that is a piece that is a pressure point that management can abuse, and that's something yeah. that uh, I think produces a lot of alienation among folks who are working um, as is act- basically professional uh, activists and organizers and researchers and and other uh, important positions that are doing good work, doing necessary work. I, I mean. Who- There's a whole nother conversation to be had about, you know, the nonprofit industrial complex and uh, the professionalization of social movements, but folks got to do this work and in our society, unless they're paying a living wage and benefits and and, you know, it's hard for folks to, to just simply volunteer to do all the work that's necessary. Right. So, and,
0: and to bring it home to Alabama, though at, yes. at the SPLC organized and they faced, you know, they faced resistance from management. And there's similar a, story, right? Yeah, yeah, very similar story. And I talked to somebody in another nonprofit that said when this was going on, their executive director told their staff that. You know, if they wanted to unionize, they wouldn't have to put up with anything like this. And so uh, I was talking to this person and he said, So that made me think that I don't need a union. I'm like, No, you need a union. <laughs> <laughs> need, do it now. So Call probably, their bluff. Yeah. I'll probably send this to him and, and, and be yeah. like, Look, you know, maybe, look, maybe, maybe, she, like, maybe they were right. Maybe this executive director and their board is going to be like, maybe they'll voluntarily recognize you and they'll give you a good contract and they'll, you know, maybe they'll do the thing, but like, make them do the thing. So that the next executive director, you don't have to rely on on their good graces. Right. But um, you know, we so you know, Dustin, we, we went through kind of the 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 nitty-gritty of the story. I think I think we mostly came came to the end of it. I wanna zoom back out a bit and um you know ground it in the series. Uh, This is a series of IWW interviews, um, y'all unionized with the West Virginia IWW. There are lots of other unions uh, out there, and some that maybe even have more resources or do have more resources than the IWW, maybe look, quote unquote, more professional or whatever, Um, you know, what? what was it that drew y'all to the IWW? Like why did y'all choose to unionize with the IWW instead of another union?
2: Well, um, honestly, it, it kind of came through the experience that Brendan and another employee had had already with the IWW and unions in general. Um, and it just seemed like uh, a logical choice and they, they were really willing really to, to back us. So, um, and they have been pretty supportive uh, this entire time as well. So, you know, that's that's one thing I'm very much thankful of is, you know, even through a lot of the chaos and everything, we have had quite a bit of support from the IWW. Um, and that, you know, speaking personally, you know, I wasn't really expecting that. I figured, you know, just a rinky-dinky grassroots organization in West Virginia probably wasn't going to get that much attention from anybody, but, you know, they've, they've really tried to do their best, to uh, to be supportive of all of our calls. That's great.
0: Dustin, you mentioned that, that, um, the, uh, uh, that there was a lot of support for y'all that you didn't really expect, right? And one of the ways that people supported you was, and Brendan, was y'all both had some GoFundMe's that did really well and that were actually able to, you know, pay your monthly expenses, uh, for some time. And, uh, I know that you said before the interview that, uh, that the money that you've raised is kind of, uh, running short. Can you talk to us about like, what it felt like to have people actually, you know, it's one thing to have somebody giving you your time um, and a message of support, but it does seem like it's another thing that they're actually putting their wages towards like helping you. Like how did that feel and where can people go to help you moving forward?
2: Yeah. I mean, I was absolutely astonished because I was, taking part of uh, anti-racism training when all this went down and the folks there um, rallied together and created a GoFundMe that raised at the time uh, over $5,000. And I was just floored at how quickly they were able to raise that money. Um, but like you said, um, that's what's been sustaining me all this time. I have you know, been trying to keep my eyes open for other employment opportunities, but also I haven't yet gotten unemployment um so that that fund was what sustained me all this time but it is starting to run short so uh, i do have that go fund me um and if folks would like to donate to that it is still available to be donated towards um uh, you know hopefully maybe by the end of september this will all be worked out but i don't know how much longer it's going to go so yeah, uh, and it's, it's every little bit helps. And I am very much appreciative to everybody who has stepped up to even, you know, just give money for someone who was in this situation. That's what the labor movement's all about. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and Brendan had a, had a similar story. Uh, he, I think he was able to raise in like 24 hours, like $3,000 or something that he needed to get him through the end of the month or something like that. So I'm going to see if, I'm going to see if his GoFundMe is still active and we are going to put definitely, I have the link to Dustin's GoFundMe. We are going to put that in the description and the show notes, um, so if you can donate to his GoFundMe and I'm going to reach out to Brendan and see if his is still active. And if it is, I'll put that in the show notes and the description as well.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, just to add to the story, Brendan was a new father during all this as it went <laughs> down too, and I've encountered some medical issues that had me hospitalized for a while and a lot of uh, was due because of the stress of all of this of, of being terminated from my job in retaliation so you know the, the money also went towards those things as well no matter how embattled you are just know that you're doing the right thing wishing you all the best dustin
0: thanks thanks so much for talking to us i appreciate
2: it thanks you know, have a good night you all too. right you too bye